0: Good evening, everyone, and happy St. Paddy's Day to y'all. Is that a mix of Irish and Texan? I don't know, but it's St. Patrick's Day, and it doesn't matter if you're from Texas or Boston or Kansas, everyone's a little bit Irish today, aren't they? So, happy St. Paddy's Day to you all. St. Patrick, the patron saint of Ireland, the patron saint of a lot of the United States, it seems like why not miss the opportunity to drink green beer dye chicago river green i was in chicago for seminary and like to go see him dye in the river which i guess they they still did this year uh even though well there's there's not uh spectators allowed why why dye a river green if you can't have spectators i don't know but nonetheless if you're flying in chicago today you could see the green chicago river boston may uh great place for celebrating there new york st patrick's cathedral Uh, I am at the epicenter of St. Patrick's in Kansas because I am at St. Patrick Catholic Church here in the Archdiocese of Kansas City in Kansas. Um, That means it's a solemnity here for us today. So those uh, not liturgical nerds, uh, there are actually three levels of uh, feast day in our calendar in the Catholic Church today. We have uh, memorials, which is the lowest, and then a feast, which is the middle, and then the, the highest form of celebration is a solemnity. Well. We have what is known as a proper solemnity today, meaning it's the feast of our patron saint of our parish, so we get a solemnity. It means we got to wear white today at mass, and uh, there's no fasting today. It's a day of celebration for us here at St. Patrick Parish because it's our feast day. Uh, So one thing we Catholics certainly know how to do is feast, and I think that's why a lot of non-Catholic people like St. Patrick's Day because, well, uh, everyone seems to want to join in on feasting, so why not drink some green Guinness on, uh, I don't know if you can. You can't even really do green Guinness, can you? I don't know. That would be ugly. Drink some green beer. Drink a Guinness on uh, Saint Patrick's Day. Wear your green, not orange. We'll talk about that. Uh, yeah. So it's just a a great day. That it's one of those things where, sure, everyone can be like, "Well, you don't really know the real Saint Patrick, and this is you know this isn't about green beer and leprechauns and gold at the end of rainbows and things like that." Okay, fair enough. Uh, there is a lot of lore or legend or things out there about Saint Patrick that, of of course, who knows? Uh, even even if you really really study Saint Patrick and really try to get down who he was, eh? There's there's not a whole lot. He was probably born at the the end of the fourth century, around maybe three eighty five, somewhere around there. We know that uh, he uh, goes back to Ireland in about. 341, which we'll talk about. It probably dies about three, uh, four, 461, around there. Goes to Ireland of 431 and dies about 461 on traditionally the 17th of March. So in case you wondered, why do we celebrate St. Patrick's Day on the 17th of March? This is the day that we believe St. Patrick died in Ireland after a long career of evangelizing and spreading the faith to the Emerald Isle. Now, that's a uh, that's a bit of what people know. Uh, he was this Irish guy. He spread the faith to Ireland. Uh, what more do you need to know? Well, we're gonna we're gonna little learn a little bit more about Saint Patrick uh, tonight, uh, but not just Saint Patrick. I found out that when I was trying to, you know, study uh, a little bit, um, I realized I don't know much about Ireland. Uh, the good news is there's not a whole lot to know about Saint Patrick. Actually, he. You know, we we have what is believed to be one of his writings that tells a little bit about his life, but we actually don't know a whole lot about Saint Patrick. We know a little bit more about Irish history and the effect that Saint Patrick had, so we'll certainly uh, look at that. But um, there's uh, just so much history of Ireland that I realized uh, I, I don't know a whole lot. Now, my my mom would be quick to remind me on this day: don't forget to to wear your green. Um, so. I, I was, you know, happy to oblige uh, my mom, and so there, there for the wearing of the green is my green mask that I wore around all day. I know it's kind of a, a subtle green compared to what other people are, are wearing, but uh, there's my green mask. Other than that, I'm wearing black. Um, we'll talk a little bit about green. I've, uh, I wanted to, to start, though, talking a, a little bit about um, just the... The the role that uh, Irish history has played in in this country. Why why so much about St Patrick? Well, my mom would of course remind me, and my grandpa would remind me. Uh, they are Kennedys. Our family comes from Ireland, so I'm I always kind of thought half half Irish, something like that. I did that little ancestry DNA thing, and the the percentage seems like I got more of my dad's genes from the Netherlands and Germany. But I'm gonna say half Irish because my mom's a kennedy that makes me half irish there's a lot of german and dutch and stuff in there but you know doesn't everyone want to be irish on saint patrick's day and my name is sean um i i will say that the other day you know i've been i've been at saint patrick parish here now for almost two years and uh we had school mass the other day and that you know the kids they they'll they'll pray for the priest and um it it kind of took me by Surprise a little bit because uh they were praying for you know pope francis and archbishop Nauman and then they prayed we got three priests here father mark father father sean and father michael and they prayed uh for our priest father mark father scene and father michael okay i mean just in in case i would get all puffed up uh, thinking that i'm somebody i i've been here two years and uh, one, the person who wrote that petition didn't know how to spell my name and did it the Irish Gaelic version, S-E-A-N. That's i I'm, I'm an S-H-A-W-N, in case you haven't noticed. And here's a person reading that petition, and I'm right behind them, and they don't realize I'm Father Sean. Anyway, a little bit about names. So Sean is, in fact, uh, S-H-A-W-N is kind of an English version of the the Gaelic-looking, S-E-A-N. Um, you might recognize Sean, John, J-E-A-N, jean uh, so my name is Irish Gaelic. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. Well, what's Gaelic, you know? Um, so I, I'm happy of my Irish heritage on this day. My great, great, great grandfather, Lawrence Kennedy came to the United States from Dublin via New York in 1854, right? October 16th, 1854, the port of New York. Uh, so this is, there there was a, a big Irish potato famine uh, at kind of the end of the 1840s, ended by 1848, around there. So this is after the famine. There, There's a lot of uh, political history that we'll get into tonight. But uh, actually, my great-great-great-grandfather was was not a poor person who left in a potato famine. He was actually a, a fairly well-to-do gentleman who, um, well, he, he was Catholic and was writing a lot uh, for Irish independence and against some of the oppressive Catholic laws that were uh, oppressing the Catholics by the the rule of the British Protestants at the time. And so he actually feared for his safety. And he he came to Kansas to start a new life as a farmer and he didn't know the first thing about farming. So uh, he actually hired people to to farm for him when he he got to Kansas. Um, I've been able to, to trace my, my genealogy back to, to Ireland. And so I have, I have two documents that I'm able to point to from my own history. Um, I, I've got the church records from the parish church where my great, great, great grandparents were married. So I, I have the, the entry handwritten by the priest on the, the day that they were married in uh, 1850. And then in 1851, I've got the baptismal record of their, their first daughter. Um, that, uh, so Lawrence and Eliza and a uh, little Margaret or Maggie, as she would, uh, go to be on to be known later. So that's kind of neat. Uh, there's not a whole lot of Irish records before that. So that, that might be about as far as I can get it in Ireland. But anyway, I, I, assume that a lot of you watching tonight probably have some kind of Irish background, um, or not, if not, you want to have some Irish background today. So anyway, that's, that's a little bit about, uh, my history. Um, all right. So... We're going to talk about uh, Saint Patrick, but, but to do that, we kind of we kind of got to start with uh, well, what was there before Saint Patrick? Patrick lived uh, at the the end of the fourth century, as I said, died had his mission from about four thirty one to four sixty one. Uh, so, what about before that? Well, and again, I'm a you know I've I've been reading lots of books. I've been reading. Uh, there's this one. Uh, which I highly recommend: Revels, The Irish Uprising of 1916" by Peter Derosa. Check that one out. Um, that's uh, nonfiction. Then this is a, a fiction one: uh, "A Man whoa, A Man Cleansed by God." This is a. Um, it, it's kind of a what is it? It's um, oh I don't know. It's a it's a it's a fictional work, but it uses the the actual firsthand documents that we have that that patrick wrote called his confession uh he wrote about his life and so this kind of dramatizes what it would be like you know um and uh and you know in case you're looking for something else yeah irish histories for dummies what are you gonna do uh you know actually the the for dummies stuff is actually some pretty good stuff so if you want like a one volume little thing irish history for dummies uh i go on that and then uh something just a little more artistic celtic praise Uh, This is just a bunch of different kind of poems and prayers and stuff written in a a Celtic uh, sort of spirit. So some of the books I'm reading and, um, gosh, YouTube, uh, tons of videos, Wikipedia. I mean, don't trust everything you read on Wikipedia, but, hey, there's a lot you can get on there. All right, so let's start at the beginning. Druids. Who doesn't love a good druid story? Um, Yeah, so before... The Christians get there before Patrick gets there. What What is Ireland like? Well, um, we'll leave out the the somewhat prehistoric kind of Iron Age, Bronze Age. But Druids, you've probably heard the word Druid. This is kind of um, the, uh, a natural kind of religion. So Druids refer to, to people who um, would consider that uh, God somehow is revealed uh, and his will can be known through oftentimes nature. So for instance, if if someone was going to uh invade some other place, they they might go to the local druid and say, Is it favorable for me to fight this battle or, you know, should I get married? or things like that, and the the druid might consult, you know, the wind, the trees, water, rocks, whatever. So some kind of a, a naturalistic kind of religion. But but nonetheless, before we kind of poo-poo that, oh, they're worshipping rocks and trees and things, uh, you know, this isn't this is California or something here. Uh, it is the beginnings anyway, that they can say that they're, they're open to some kind of a supernatural. And so that, that would certainly, uh, as we see with our own native peoples here in America, uh, there is a put in the heart of everyone, even people who, who don't know Jesus, don't know God, haven't experienced this revelation. There is something innate, meaning from our birth, born into us to desire the supernatural, to desire God. And druids uh, were what were going on in, in Ireland um, before Christianity, and and Patrick gets there. Um, so druids are kind of you call them kind of like the priests of their naturalistic uh, religion at at the time. So we have druids, and then um, we have the, these group of of people that that start to to come up from mainland Europe, come up through. Uh, what would be Great, Great Britain, England, Wales, there. And they are known as the Celts, C-E-L-T-S. So well, that's my, my little book on Celtic praise, the, the, the Celts. Uh, they are, a, a, well, they're not one group. They're like four different groups. The, the most impressive of the four groups of Celts who come up through Britain and Ireland are known as the Gales. From which we get the word Gaelic today, uh, and so the interesting thing about them is that unlike all of the the rest of, of Europe, you think about what's going on in in Europe, uh, you know, say f- you know uh, two hundred years BC and up to four hundred after. What's going on in Europe? The Roman Empire. Okay, we we know this from our from our Bible and things. Well, people don't often realize that the Roman Empire stretched all the way up to, to England, Great Britain, Britannia as it was then. That's that's a long way to think, what is Rome doing up all the way up there? Well, you know, that's part of the problem. They, they couldn't hold on to all that. So eventually they pulled back. But one of the, the big parts of history was the Roman Empire, the, they decide not to invade Ireland. And it, it says that, you know, the general got to the far west coast Of Britain looked across, saw Ireland, and just decided they'd had enough. (laughs) We've been—we're a long way from Rome up here. It's cold. Uh, We don't like England very much. It's cold and wet and dark. And if you're telling me Ireland is the same, we don't want to have anything to do it. And actually, uh, legend is that um, the. One of the great kind of early propaganda was that the people in Ireland actually tried to pass on to the Romans that Ireland is terrible, cold, ugly, ice, dark, don't bother, uh, and they didn't. So, the 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 neat thing about that is then the 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 language, the the Gaelic as we would know it today from from the Gaels, from the Celts who came it, remained largely unpolluted by the the Latin uh, that would have been working its way up from the rest of the continent and as we'll see throughout Irish history, um, Ireland kind of remained a, a thing unto itself. They, they managed not to be Romanized by everything like like the rest of the world was. And so this this independent kind of streak that, that Ireland has always had, uh, served it well in maintaining its identity. And as we'll see, it's particularly important as well as Catholics, maintaining their Catholic identity. Because the, the peoples of Ireland politically have been, you know, in a kind of tug of war with, with Britain and England for, well, almost since the time of St. Patrick. Uh, and they've maintained, at least until recent times, their, their Catholic faith. Uh, so that that kind of independent streak, the, the political things can come and go, but uh, the faith stays. And we, we hope that'll be true. And whether even the uh, beginnings here of the 21st century that Ireland will continue to maintain uh, faith although we're struggling a bit now okay so we've got these gales we've, we've got the, the Celts that are that are coming up all right then uh, what happens is that Rome pulls out of Britain they decided we've had it we' we got other battles to fight we're going back and and so they leave Britain and what this does is it, it leaves Britain pretty much un, undefended. And so now the the kind of kings from Ireland can start raiding. Uh, There's not necessarily a um, a central kind of government in Ireland at this time. People might know today there are 32 counties uh, in in Ireland, like four provinces and 32 counties. Um, Those little counties do go back quite a ways, but it kind of each of those little areas was like governed by a chief or a, a, a. king, there, there might have been as, as many as like 200 or maybe even 300 kings uh, scattered around Ireland, um, eventually they would all be consolidated down to people who would vie for the title of, of high king and be kind of king of all Ireland. Well, it's at this time that the, the Romans withdraw from Britain, leaving Britain undefended, that some of these kings, chieftains, start saying, hey, I want some slaves. my kingdom back in Ireland. And so they start raiding across the Irish Sea back over to England and and snatching up people and bringing them back to Ireland to enslave them. A lot of people might have heard that, you know, maybe in a joke or something that, oh, St. Patrick, he wasn't even Irish. Well, this is actually true. Uh, St. Patrick was a Roman citizen of Britain. Uh, He was not Irish at all. And when he was 16 years old, he was taken as a slave to Ireland. St. Patrick first comes to Ireland as a slave. That's amazing. Uh, And sometimes, I I guess I've read that in his biography before, and I thought, okay, St. Patrick, he's a slave, whatever, and then he goes back. He was a slave for six years in in Ireland, uh, or at the... Manner of some local chieftain who enslaved him and, and put him to work, and of all things, he eventually became a shepherd. Imagine that! This future bishop, who would shepherd all of Ireland, uh, was an actual shepherd. Uh, he he learned how to care for sheep as a slave. Well, he he was always, you know, very headstrong. They say that um, from his own confession, uh, and when I say his confession, I am um, like. People may be confi- familiar with the Confessions of Augustine, um, which he wrote. It's kind of a, a story of his life, so to speak. Uh, it gets called a confession um, so that uh, it, it can kind of yeah, – this is written in a way to say, like, here's here's an, an account of, of my life. Um, so Patrick writes his confession. And so a lot of what I say about him, uh, we know – because it comes from him. Uh, he, he wrote it and he told us. And so he, he says plainly, he, he was not a good Christian uh, when he was living in, in Britain. He, he didn't care much for the faith. I mean, yeah, he's baptized, but who cares? Uh, how many teenagers do we know like that? He was a 16 year old teenager. He didn't care <laughs> about his Christian faith. Uh, and so he gets taken as a slave. And depending on what you believe, he meets a, a priest or other religious people. And while he's a slave, he really starts to learn about God. He gets some instruction. And you you might imagine that when you've got nothing, you have some time to pray. And Patrick tells us that he began to pray. He became, as a slave, a real man of prayer. So much so that, famously, he had visions, or at least audible experiences, where he heard the voice of God uh, telling him what he wanted him to do and as it came time he was he was really trying to escape a lot at the beginning but then he just had to rest and say that god has willed this and it's it's a real kind of change in patrick that takes place during those six years of slavery he went from being kind of a headstrong son of privilege his, his father was probably some kind of a a roman sort of uh, official in the town where he was from He felt kind of entitled, sort of full of himself. You can imagine. Well, slavery changes that. And Patrick instead becomes humble. He becomes dependent upon God. He starts to accept the will of God to say, if God allowed me to be a slave, God must know what he's doing. And eventually he starts to trust that somehow this will work out. And he finally hears the voice of God telling him that his ship is ready. Like a ship. Now, we probably think that Patrick is on the, the east coast of Ireland. But the, the ship that is referred to, he, he escapes and he walks 200 miles, probably all across Ireland, to the, the western side where he does, in fact, find a ship that uh, is going not back to England, but it is going to mainland Europe, to France. And so Patrick, after six years of slavery, finally escapes and uh, he and a a, a friend who dies on the way, and he escapes in a a little boat and he he goes to France. And his plan is to cross France and get to Rome because he thinks that's where his his parents will be Uh, because they assume that his his parents have have left and have gone back to, to Rome when the Romans left Britain. So he goes all across France. Says that he was in the wilderness 28 days, and guess what? He almost gets drunk, and he gets captured again. <laughs> Imagine that—you get enslaved again. Like I just, I just got my my freedom, and now I'm in, enslaved again. So it is. But this time, Patrick is willing to say, "Okay." Uh, the voice comes to him and says, "You will be with them for two months." It's like, okay. This time, Patrick has learned his lesson. He'll trust and literally on the 60th day he, he was delivered from that captivity and he continued on to to rome uh where he is then he meets he meets actually with the, with the pope uh and he goes back to, to britain now a free person finds his parents they're actually back there um and it's at that time that he meets up with the priest and he's really struggling he's become a great man of faith and he thinks he wants to maybe be a priest but he's not sure and eventually he decides okay he'll give it a try and so he goes back to France and and studies with Germanus the great bishop of there, and 15 more years probably of of studying to be a priest and so finally he becomes a priest and they decide that they would like to try a a mission to Ireland, you think, oh great, this is what this is what Patrick is made for, right? He's he's gonna go, he's gonna go to Ireland, and it's everybody's gonna live happily ever after. No, the last thing Patrick wants to do is go to Ireland. Like everyone's like, oh, he's 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 the Irish of Irish. No, Patrick hated Ireland. He was a slave in Ireland. He did not want to go to Ireland. Um, and so when there's this missionary call by the the Pope to to send someone to Ireland, they send somebody else because Patrick doesn't want to go. <laughs> and they, they, they send another bishop, but the problem is this first bishop of, of Ireland, he only lasts a year. They, they run him out of town, uh, and in a year he makes like three converts. That's it. And so they come back to Patrick, and they're like, uh, Patrick, I think, I think it's time for you to go back to Ireland. And uh, eventually, Patrick receives a, another kind of vision, where he he does hear voices calling him back to Ireland, but he does not want to go. And this is something that I think really helps me uh, in the in the kind of uh, book I was reading uh, about Saint Patrick. This this kind of fictitious one, it, it it puts in Patrick's kind of mind what what he might have been saying, and to some extent, we can get from his writings, but. You know, he admits like, my desire is not there. I do not desire to go to Ireland. I was a slave there. Now I'm a free person. I mean, what if they don't accept me? They didn't accept this other guy. Um, But he says, I had to put aside my desire to follow the will of God. And if God was calling me, then it it doesn't really matter what my desire is. I should follow and, and pray that God will help my desire to to catch up to to what his plan is but even if he doesn't even if god does not give me the desire to to be with the irish so what if i know i've heard god's voice i'm supposed to go then i'll go and so he decides to go and uh eventually he he does get back to ireland and uh here's here's another kind of fascinating thing about how we can sort of look back and and see what this was all about, I mentioned, you know, in in slavery. Well, two two things happen. Multiple, but two important ones. One, Patrick has this great religious conversion. He left Britain, couldn't care less about the faith. Now he he emerges a man of prayer. Second thing that happens because he was enslaved, he learns the Irish language. He he can speak as well as the the natives. He spent six years. And he decided he, he would learn and he did. So one of the reasons that, that first Bishop failed, Bishop Palladius, uh, he, he spoke Latin, didn't speak Gaelic. So Patrick shows up and he speaks the language of the people. More than that, he, he knows poverty, he's been a slave. So he's, he's not putting on any errors, he's not arrogant, he's humble, he speaks the language. And he comes and he tells people about Jesus, Jesus who saved him from slavery and wants to save these people who are are worshiping trees and and rocks and things. And he wants to teach them about the true God. Patrick had, I guess, been given, you could say a gift from what he, he learned, at least through his slavery. Now we can see how God, you know, we say he writes straight with crooked lines. I think a lot of times we can look back you know, on our life and say, wow, okay, I, I wouldn't choose maybe to go through it again exactly that way. But, you know, if this hadn't happened, then, then that hadn't happened. And if this didn't happen, then that wouldn't have happened. Patrick is certainly able at his end of his life when he's writing his confession to do that, to, to be able to see how, all right, if these things hadn't happened, then all these other great things wouldn't have happened. And the fact that Patrick was a slave made him the perfect uh, shepherd to go back to the Irish people and spread the faith, which he does. Now there, there's a, sometimes a, a kind of thinking in, uh, you know, America these days that, you know, we know of our native uh, people and we have like the Franciscans and Junipero Serra who helped bring the faith and, and even the, the voyages of uh, Columbus, you know, why does he come to America in the first place? There's kind of this whole cancel culture thing today where it's like oh native culture is is just perfect the way it is and you know christians come and they mess it all up that's a very very new way to to look at this uh and it's just an insult to the the missionaries uh just like the the missionaries that came to america to bring the faith patrick wanted to risk his life really to risk his freedom to go back to ireland to bring the true faith. He wasn't he wasn't going there to be like a friend of the Druids. You know, he he was going there to bring Jesus. And he's very clear about this. Uh, Patrick, of all the missionaries, is, is known for like not imposing the faith on, on the people, but fitting in with them. But you read what he wrote. And he is very clear. I came to bring the true faith to these people who were in danger of, of not being saved. This is the great missionary spirit to say, if these people are not baptized, they will not go to heaven. If these people don't know about Jesus, their life is worse off. Therefore, Patrick is able to say, I love enough these people that, and think about what it is for Patrick to say he loves the people of Ireland. These are the people who enslaved him. They stole him away for six years. And yet he's able to come around to say, but in my Christian faith, I love them enough to go back and bring them the faith of Jesus. That, that's real love right there. Willing to sacrifice your, yourself, your freedom, even your life, uh, to go to people who hated you, who you don't like very much, to, to bring them the faith. That's, that's pretty amazing. But that's what Christian charity does. That's why the, the missionaries are just some of the most incredible people. I, I mean, for, you know, Patrick could have hung out in Rome. Could have just stayed in rome said so i'm a roman citizen i am got of nice i'm just gonna hang out here instead he goes back to ireland which was still a wild kind of place and as a result of it re-christianizes brings the christian faith to the entire island of ireland which then of course in retrospect brings that faith not we, we think about the united states but so many times uh when you're you're studying like theology in in seminary you you read about how a lot of the way the faith got to Europe, mainland Europe was the the Irish missionaries. Uh because it's not just that Patrick was a missionary, he he inspired other people then to to go from Ireland back to Europe and he he had he founded monasteries. So people that would spend full-time living in the monasteries praying Ireland is is sometimes known as the land of saints and scholars. I think of Saint Patrick and Saint Bridget. But these monasteries that that uh, Patrick created this this was a place. This was like the universities of the day. You went and you studied and you learned, um, and so you got smart if if you were a monk. Uh, and, and a little bit different monastic time. But this is a whole system that Patrick set up that that Christianized not just Ireland but in some ways all of Europe. To, to this day, when you study about uh, confession, you know, the whole idea that, like I just finished hearing confessions, the, the idea that you go privately face to face or behind a screen with the priest and, and make your confession privately, and then get absolution. You, you learn about this in seminary you say, well, the Irish monks brought that. Irish monks, yeah, Irish monks going all over Europe, bringing this tradition. So imagine if Patrick had said no. <laughs> imagine if Patrick were just too scared to do what he needed to do, and didn't didn't want to do it, we'd all be worse off. Just one person saying yes. All right, so that's how the faith comes. I one little story about Patrick. The problem is with stories about Patrick, they're all right. They're, there's his firsthand writing, his confession, and then there's there's any number of stories that are, are myth, legend, whatever you want to call it. It's hard to know what's true. But one of my favorite from the the liturgy nerd standpoint. Uh, it is about Saint Patrick and the Easter fire. Now, when when I was in my first parish thirteen years ago, uh, Most to Mary in Topeka, they would uh, the school kids would would do a play uh, each year, Saint Patrick and the Easter fire, around Easter time. And so one of one of the things that uh, the the Druids and people were doing that they worshipped the sun, they worshipped light, uh, they they worshipped fire. And so there was a a custom that you know. Uh, only the the king, you know, could could light the the first fire or whatever. Well, Saint Patrick was ready to celebrate Easter uh, with the uh, the Easter fire, and so he he just goes out and does it. Says, "No, I'm going to tell you about the the real source of light. God is is not a fire, but we're going to light a fire to celebrate the resurrection of the true God." Uh, and he does, and and so it, it's a little bit like Saint. Boniface in Germany chopping down the the Christmas tree because they were worshiping the tree, yeah. Uh, so Patrick kind of does the same thing. He supposedly creates what we know today as the Celtic cross, uh, that cross with like looks like a circle behind it uh, that that circles the sun. They like worship the sun, so he shows like no that the cross uh, Christ is the true sun. Uh, so that's where we get that cross with the the sun behind it, the the Celtic cross as we would call it today. All right, so that, that's a little bit about. Uh, Patrick. Now I I said, well, how about a little bit about Ireland too? Because what happens is Ireland becomes, well, Catholic at that point and it spreads everywhere. And eventually the the whole island uh, becomes Catholic. And uh, of course, uh, Rome eventually, you know, uh, they're in communion. The Pope Celestine sent Patrick to Ireland. Uh, So there is a, a, a tide because... Patrick is ordained a bishop, but Ireland was always, as I said, a little bit independent. You know, they, well, you know, solid teeth. They got the true faith. Just read Patrick's confession. It got, it, it's straight down the Apostles' Creed. They believe the true faith, but as far as like church governance, yeah. Patrick ordained a bunch of bishops. He established a church in Ireland, and it was kind of like, hey, leave us alone. You know, we're, we're pretty good on our little island here. Let us alone. Well, um of those those ties with Rome as they start to see that, you know, Ireland is becoming a pretty Christian place. Uh, they, they strengthen. Um, and the church becomes a major player. Uh, other players in the history of Ireland, though, the Vikings. How many people know about that? You know, we think about the Vikings, like, what are they doing? Don't they come to, like, Leif Erikson, North America, Eric the Red, things like that? Um, so the Vikings have the distinction of being the ones that founded the city of Dublin. How about that? Yeah. Uh, Dublin was first settled by the the Vikings who who come. And at first, the Vikings come kind of just to make little landing parties, take wealth, go back to like Norway or something. But eventually they come and they, they feel like, well, we kind of like it. And so the Vikings stay. But as will happen throughout history, they, they don't just stay Vikings. They, they kind of intermarry and become part of the Irish. And so you get this Norse... Irish kind of mix thing going on Uh, and so they there's kind of a a Happy little marriage there between the the Vikings and the the native Irish Um, Later the the Normans will also come ironically They get invited by the Irish to help fight a battle and they like it and they stay and so then the Irish start to kind of Intermarry with the the Normans and they become Irish Um, so there's a lot of kind of mixing of, of cultures uh, in in the Irish, but of course, finally, the, the the English, and it's it's all confusing. How the Normans? When when did the Normans become English? <laughs> Go study that in history. That's that's a tough question. But at any rate, eventually, the English, um, you know, are asserting more and more their uh, dominance over Ireland because Ireland, eh, with this loose kind of confederation of, of kings and stuff. Most of the time, they're not ever really able to be united enough to defend themselves. It's kind of sad. Uh, If they all got together, Ireland could have, like, stayed independent Ireland. But one king keeps fighting against another. Kings will go over to England and say, hey, can you come help me beat up my other Irish king friend? And so they are fundamentally kind of vulnerable. And so we, we look today and say, like, well, you know, what a... What are the English doing in in Ireland? Well, the English have been in Ireland for a long time uh, because they kept going over and wanting to control it. And uh, the famous... uh, We we have the the Norman invasion of England in 1066, the Battle of Hastings and everything. That's when the Normans come in and they make their way over to Ireland. And so eventually it all kind of comes together and Ireland is not exactly independent Ireland for thousands of years the last thousand years you know so um it, it's good to kind of keep that in mind that's something that i, I learned about irish history because it, as a modern person i'm like um there's this island right it, it it's ireland what is what is britain doing because we'll we'll talk about northern ireland in a like what why is why is britain in ireland that doesn't make sense at, at any rate uh there's always kind of been a, a back and forth sort of fighting uh, between the two, well, eventually, uh, the the real problem comes not so much that the, the English would come over, but they're Christian, and so the one constant in all this was church. It do, it doesn't matter. All right, is an Irish high king ahead of our island, or or is there or is there a British king? Uh, you know, ahead of our. Who cares? In in, in the end. It's all politics. is local. And as long as my little local king is doing all right, one thing that stays constant is the church. They're Catholic. Well, all this, of course, blows up in the 16th century with the Protestant Reformation. All of a sudden, Henry VIII becomes king in, in England, and this creates big trouble. Because now it's not only, oh, there's a new king in England, and by the way, he wants to be king of Ireland as well, but now Henry the Eighth is gonna go change everybody's religion. Okay, well that that kind of works in in England maybe where they're all, you know, bent more on political alliances and thing. But in Ireland, it's like okay, no. Uh, what do you mean we ain't Catholic anymore? Uh, no, afraid not. We've been we've been Catholic since Patrick. So thanks, but no thanks. Um, well, that obviously didn't go over very well with henry the so there's a bunch of fighting and of course england has the bigger armies and so long story short poor ireland gets subjugated by england and the king of england becomes the king of ireland as well and eventually the best ireland could do is say like well fine just try to leave us alone um unfortunately this uh this did not work uh, because England refused just to leave them alone. They they kept wanting to go over and assert, assert their authority. Uh, and, and it just, it was never very peaceful for, for Ireland. And the problem is you've got these mix of people now. So you've got the native Irish who are wild and crazy, like from the beginning. Then you've got the, the English that came over. Supposedly, to you know, have an English presence in Ireland, but the problem is, like, like the Vikings, like the Normans, the, the English liked it, so they intermarry with, with the Irish, and not not too long, like these supposed English are kind of becoming Irish. So they actually make laws uh, to say that, all right, you English people that went over there, you can't you can't look too Irish, you can't dress like Irish, uh, you can't even ride a horse like. Irish people, you can't speak Irish. You got to speak English, um, because everyone that goes over to Ireland, they, they like it. They they become Irish, and you know, it, heaven forbid, after the Reformation, they might they might become Catholic. I can't have that. So we start to see after the Protestant Reformation that it's not only that it's English versus Irish. Now it becomes Protestant versus Catholic, and of course that that sounds familiar because we. We kind of see a little bit of that today, although things are are getting more peaceful. But yeah, this was all of a sudden not about England versus Ireland. It was about Protestant versus Catholic. And you read uh, the stuff from this time, the, the laws that were, were passed against the Catholics. You know, it, in England, a lot of people, frankly, acquiesced, you know, save, you know, like Bishop John Fisher and St. Thomas More, who died as martyrs. A lot, people in England are like, hey, we're political, yeah, whatever, we'll just, fine, we'll go along with it. Henry VIII is head of the church, whatever, fine, we we'll, he won't be here forever, we'll make, why, why get all bent out of shape? I didn't go over so well in Ireland. They're like, are you kidding me? No, we've been Catholic since forever, uh, so no. And so they just kept fighting and fighting and fighting, so they, England kept passing more laws saying it, it's not legal to be Catholic. Uh, and imposing all these these measures. Eventually, Catholics couldn't own land. Catholics couldn't have offices. Um, Catholics basically weren't free to do a whole lot of, of anything uh, because they were stubbornly holding on to their Catholic faith. Um, well, eventually, there are, are several, I guess, uprisings. Uh, eventually, this, this kind of comes to a head at... Uh, a, a famous battle, if you're gonna to wanna to know one one battle. It took place july first, sixteen ninety. And this is the the Battle of the Boyne. Boyne is a river, B-O-Y-N-E. And this is where William of Orange, so he's a Protestant, comes and attacks James Catholic forces to overthrow. William of Orange then basically oppresses all the Catholics, outlaws Catholic. It's no longer allowed to be Catholic. The Battle of the Boyne is a, a huge turning point. Um, so much so that uh, to this day, here's where the orange comes in, okay? Uh, we'll, we'll finish up here with a little bit of the modern politics, if you will. But um, green is the, the color of the Republic of Ireland. Yeah. You know, uh, we think of green with St. Patrick and Ireland and everything. Well, it is the Emerald Isle. It's very green and very lush. There's some kind of thought that Patrick himself preferred blue. I don't know. Uh, But nonetheless, politically in history, green came to be associated with Ireland. And then ever since the Battle of the Boyne in 1690 with William of Orange invading and oppressing the Catholics orange then became the symbol of the occupying Protestant forces of Great Britain. So, uh, if you want to know why you don't wear orange at an Irish fest, well, it's, it's because largely the maintainers of Irish culture, well, these are the, the Irish Catholics, the Irish of the Irish Republic, the Republic of Ireland, uh, the people that would see themselves as the authentic Irish, if you will, uh, because William of Orange, what do they do? Well, since it hadn't worked to like just kind of allow English people to go over because they all intermarried married and became Irish, what well, they they create settlements of English in Ireland, in especially what today we would know as Northern Ireland. So they create plantations, uh, as they're called, to to put English. In Ireland, so as you can imagine, they're seen as foreigners. They're an occupying force ever since the Battle of the Boyne, uh, and Ireland has was not free. They like we are occupied by the uh, invading Protestants from England. We want to be Catholic and we want to be an independent Ireland. So, want to know how far this goes back? Well, at least to sixteen ninety. But again, that whole kind of independence of Ireland from England sort of thing, that went back even before it became a religious war. But at least since the Battle of the Boyne in 1690 with William of Orange uh, invading Ireland and occupying it, that's really, you know, where where did the Protestant Catholic kind of fighting come in Ireland? Well, well, there you go. So what happens is that William of Orange, and after them they establish these plantation settlements, they plant uh, English in Ireland. Uh, Well, this... Obviously, does not go over well with uh, the native Irish, and they consistently try to oust the occupying force, but are, are never militarily powerful enough to to do it. Well, fast forward uh, a lot. So, uh, late 1800s, or I guess uh, I guess about 18. Actually, I think it's 1800 when the Kingdom of Great Britain becomes the United Kingdom of Great Britain and, and Ireland. So this is one of those weird modern things. You know, when you talk about Great Britain or the United Kingdom, say, is the United Kingdom a country? Right, yeah, the United Kingdom's a country. Right. Well, how many how many countries are in this country? Uh, four. England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland now. But it was England, Ireland, Scotland, and Wales were four countries within the United Kingdom. Well, as you can imagine, Ireland eventually is like, we don't want to be part of this. We want our independence. And this should ring true with us in America. Independence from England? Sure. Ireland wants their independence. So we we have then the Irish War of Independence that is fought at the, the beginning of the 20th century. And it all starts... Uh, with uh, the book that I held up here, Ta-da-da. the Irish Rising of 1916. Uh, you might often hear of this as the the Easter uprising, because it took place the week after Easter in 1916. Uh, some of the the Irish uh, decided it was time. We won an independent republic uh, of Ireland, separate from, from Britain, and so there's an uprising. It only lasts about a week, and... Um, I mean the the small little Irish group is incredibly outnumbered by the the British forces, and they lose, and most of the leaders are executed. But it leads then to a greater war of independence. That, long story short, in 1921, so from from about 1919, I think to 1921 is the Irish War of Independence, and the the Republic of Ireland wins this time. They they defeat. the the British, and they win their independence. leads to a treaty that creates the free state uh, of Ireland. And uh, they will no longer be a a part uh, of the United Kingdom, properly speaking. They're like a little part of the Commonwealth. British government is weird, okay? No, my my British friends, there's a little dig at you. Um, But as a part of that, uh, the six counties in the very northeast of Ireland... Uh, that's basically where they planted all the, the English Protestants. They are allowed to decide for themselves if they want to be a part of this new free state of Ireland or if they want to be part of the United Kingdom. Well, the Catholics there are largely outnumbered, and so those six counties in very northeast Ireland vote to uh, not be part of of the new free state of Ireland, and they stay in the United Kingdom. This is what is today the country, province, whatever the British want to call it today, of Northern Ireland. So there are are 32 counties in Ireland, the, the whole island of Ireland. Six of those counties are not part of the country of Ireland today. They are a part of the country of Northern Ireland, which is one of the four countries a part of the United Kingdom. So today we have the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Great Britain is England, Wales, and Scotland. It, yeah, the, how many countries are in this country? Four. And so uh, there's this little chunk of Northeast Ireland that is not part of Ireland. The country, it's a part of the United Kingdom, the country, the country of Northern Ireland. Go Google it. I mean, just, it's a mess. So this is where you see a lot of the um, kind of fighting that might go on today. Uh, because, at, believe it or not, after Ireland wins their independence from Britain, the, the fact that these six counties uh, stay with United Kingdom, half of the people on the winning side decide, well, we don't like that. That's not good enough. And so you, right after the Irish War for Independence, you get the Irish Civil War, in which the winning side fights amongst themselves. Uh, again, it kind of goes back to the entire history of Ireland. They, they could have done better for themselves in history if they had just all like joined together and defended themselves. But as soon as Ireland wins its independence, they immediately start a civil war, because we don't want Northern Ireland. We want all all of ireland to be united and that's where you get the ira the irish republican army which was a good thing and then it starts to become a terrorist kind of organization and all right. that kind of thing eventually the irish civil war ends and the republican uh the, the people that want the the uh country of ireland even if northern ireland is part of britain they win and um that's the status quo today so uh, you might hear the song of. Uh, uh, a lot of times when you hear Irish music uh, it, it's somewhat political in in nature uh, there There's songs for instance uh, about four green fields. There are four provinces of Ireland that go back to the time of Saint Patrick there was there was a fifth, but now it's gone. Uh, there are four provinces in, in Ireland, and essentially the the northeast one with the six counties up there um, that's uh, one of those provinces. So the song of four green fields, uh, Google it, it's a great song. It talks about how, uh, you know, I had four green fields and now one of those is in bondage. Well, that that's referring to Northern Ireland, the the northeast province of, of Ireland, essentially. Most of it is occupied in the uh, language of the person who would have written the, the song. You'll also hear songs like about the black and tans. Uh, that's That refers to the color of the uniforms during the Irish War of Independence of kind of well, some no good British soldiers who would, you know, do all kinds of terrible things, kind of like almost uh, similar to the SS, I guess you'd say in Nazi Germany, that sort of thing. Like, there's the sort of special soldiers that created a lot of the problems. So the the Black and Tans uh, are British soldiers that came over to, well, shake up the the Irish during the, the Civil War, uh, during the War for Independence. So um, you'll you'll hear a lot in the Irish music uh, about these kind of political sort of struggles and i I, here in kansas city we have i i believe the largest saint patrick's day parade outside of ireland or maybe outside of maybe in the new york one is bigger and and then kansas city uh is is the biggest so uh we we know our irish history here one of my my favorite events in in the fall is the irish fest uh a great weekend of celtic uh, irish music um you know i covid canceled this this thing so i'm really kind of upset about that um but think about all of our kind of irish heritage i've tried to encapsulate a a bit of saint patrick but but also a little bit of ireland uh so we're we're coming to our end here i don't know if anyone has specific questions don is asking where was saint patrick from he's from britain uh we don't know exactly where he was born but somewhere on what that so if you look there's two isles up there there's the island of ireland and there's island that is England, Wales, and Scotland. He was born in, well, probably Wales. So uh, the Welsh like to claim Patrick as, as one of their own. So he was probably Welsh. Um, he, was, he was a, a Roman citizen. Um, his, his parents were uh, came with the, the legion that pressed up into Britain. Uh, we know he's a Roman citizen and he was kidnapped and taken to Ireland. And then years later, went back. So he is definitely not Irish, um, by birth, but I guess you could say by death he is, because by the end of his life, he said he'd given his whole life out of love for his Irish people. Uh, and obviously, he's he's buried in Ireland. We don't know for sure his grave. Uh, we think we know where it's at, but people kept stealing dirt, so they put a big a big rock over top of it. So it's um, a little bit uh, north of uh, of Dublin. Um, and you can go see it in the Diocese of Armagh up there, which is where Bishop Patrick created the the center of his governance of the the church in Ireland. I hope that answers that question. Uh, let me see over here on the Patrick side. Bob Dorse likes the history. Diane Linder is on. Mark Gellstrap wants to know how often you can receive communion one day. You can receive communion twice in one day, Mark. Uh, provided that the second one is at mass and not a communion service, uh, quick answer to a question there. See, I, I aim to please. Any, uh, any uh, final questions about uh, Patrick? And insta- uh, there is some debate that Patrick was not his original name; that the Pope uh, renamed him Patricius. Um, that he would have he would have had um, a more Celtic-sounding um, name uh, before that. Um, so. Uh, I I might end then uh, with this. I I mentioned the whole bit about, uh, you know, the green and the the orange and everything. Uh, The the original flag of the Republic of Ireland, it it was all green. Well, I guess it is. It's all green with a a golden harp on it. The uh, tricolor flag that a lot of us are familiar with today, you might note is green and white and orange. You're like, I thought orange was bad. What's orange doing on the Irish flag? Well, a lot of staunch Irish people reject that flag just for that reason. But the idea was that, you know, after everything had quieted down with independence and we moved forward, it's it's meant to show that, um, at least theoretically, that the, the green, you know, represents the, the Irish Catholics and the orange represents the Protestants brought by William of Orange. And the white in the middle is supposed to represent peace between those two... Factions, as it were. So it, it's kind of a it's kind of a, a symbol and a hope that there need not be fighting between the the Protestants and the Catholics. Uh, and of course, as with all religious wars, it's not just a religious war; it's also a political war. There's not war today, but it's, it's kind of like uh, you know the animosity is is way down. I mean, but think think how the the Irish War for Independence. Is barely a you know, it's just over a century past, you know, so it's uh, it's not that long ago in history, so there's still tensions to be worked out, and we certainly pray for that. But most of all, today, I you know, Catholic Protestant debate society, we gotta just from the Catholic standpoint stop worrying about the Protestants. Catholics got enough problem in Ireland getting our own house in order. Ireland used to be lands of saints and scholars, it used to be catholic was the identity that sustained ireland through everything catholics in ireland just legalized abortion a couple years ago um we're in big big trouble i i mean this is crazy uh ireland is i mean people don't go to church faith is basically dying out in ireland ireland has been catholic through thick and thin through millennia and the faith is in in danger of being wiped out. Ireland was so Catholic that they are the ones that sent missionaries all over the place. How many people know an O'Brien or a Father O'Connor in the United States? Because Catholic Church was settled largely by Irish in America. Now there's gonna be no Catholics in Ireland. And the ones that are there are the kind of Catholics that say, well, we're gonna legalize abortion. Wow, we're in trouble. I mean, the whole world's in trouble, but if Catholic Ireland is in trouble, if Catholic Ireland is not gonna be Catholic anymore, Catholic France long since being the eldest daughter of the church, we are losing the faith in major traditional homes of Catholicism. So we gotta pray for Ireland on this day of St. Patrick. Uh, he would not be happy with what's happening to his faith, his beloved Catholicism in Ireland. Uh, he gave his life to spread there. Uh, the snakes are coming back. We'll end with that little story. There's the story that Patrick drove the snakes out of Ireland. Well, the truth is that there probably aren't any snakes in Ireland. It's an island and there were never snakes on it. The snakes refer to heresies, uh, paganism. He he drove out false worship and, and brought in worship of the true God. You know, one of the things that the pagans were doing, they were sacrificing their children. They were sacrificing their firstborn to the son or to some nature God. Patrick put an end to that. Now Now... We're, we're sacrificing our children to, to nothing, just the God of convenience. So we pray that there can be a rebirth of Catholicism in Catholic Ireland, and that as the faith came out of Ireland and brought to the United States, that to the intercession of St. Patrick, so many people who claim uh, the title Catholic in the United States that came through Irish missionaries, that we ourselves would be missionaries. Patrick didn't want to go to Ireland, but he was sent by God, and so he went, and he brought it. He, he went toe to toe with the, the Druid priest. He, he brought Catholicism to a place that it was not easy to bring it. Well, we've got that same battle today. It is not easy to be Catholic today anywhere, but even in America, it's not easy. We pray that St. Patrick would give us the courage to do as he did one Easter and light the fire of the true God in defiance of all the false gods. And that as he converted all of Ireland and got the snakes out, saint patrick can drive the snakes out of our life the sin out of our life and then he can drive the snakes out of ireland again today and out of the united states as well i'm proud of my irish heritage it's been great to share a little bit of that with you tonight i hope you've enjoyed a little taste of saint patrick and a little history of ireland uh i do not claim to be a great uh knowledgeable person about especially the some of the political modern history of ireland Uh, that was a little a little taste and, you know, imagine if someone from Ireland tried to describe the uh, American Civil War. <laughs> would miss some nuance. So I apologize uh, to those who are more knowledgeable than I know. I, I covered very quickly something that is very complex, especially the modern political situation. So we just pray today that uh, the Catholic faith can unite us all as it is done for Ireland through millennia, that belief in the one true God, as Patrick famously proclaimed, uh, He gave his life, he says, in witness to the truth of the Trinity. Famously taking, at least been legend, a shamrock, (laughs) a little clover, and saying, look, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God. Patrick started simple and small. Why don't you do that too? Go spread the faith. And may the intercession of the great missionary, St. Patrick, go with you. And may God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. St. Patrick, pray for us. Good night.